Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. For the last 20 or so years, we've been living through a technology revolution. When we talk about the pioneers behind this revolution, we usually refer to the creators of phones, software, e-commerce, or a combination of all three. For example, an app that summons a car to pick you up, or an app that creates a playlist of your favorite music. Some of these tech advances are so integrated into our daily lives, we say we couldn't live without them. In reality, though, we could. If Uber, Pandora, or even Amazon disappeared tomorrow, it might take a little adjustment, but our lives, for the most part, would go on just fine. But there are advances in technology that have an extraordinary impact on the quality of life for people whose lives do literally depend on them. Here in New Orleans, since 2012, an organization called Team Gleason has delivered more than $15 million of life-changing technology to 20,000 people living with ALS. Now, ALS is a neurodegenerative disorder uh, better known as, as Lou Gehrig's disease. Inspired and guided by Saints football legend and ALS patient Steve Gleason, the technology that Team Gleason is most involved with is a sophisticated interface that allows someone with ALS who no longer has the ability of speech or other motor functions to use minuscule motions of their eyes to trigger a device that talks in the person's own voice and performs other commands like operating a motorized wheelchair or changing channels on a TV. As you might imagine, this extraordinary technology is expensive. Team Gleason has been instrumental in every step of its production and implementation. They've gotten these high-tech devices funded, designed, and developed, and they've spearheaded the political lobby that has resulted in this assistive equipment being covered by Medicare. Blair Casey is Team Gleason's chief impact officer. Among other responsibilities, Blair heads up the division of the organization that finds the people and the money to fund and build this technology. Blair, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to, uh, to be talking about every single thing you just mentioned because that <laughs> is our passion and uh, it's one thing we could never expose enough of the world to. There's another kind of technology I want to tell you about. This one takes the virtual reality most of us associate with gaming and turns it into a product with a profound real-world application. The product is called Stratus. It's developed and built by a virtual reality company here in New Orleans called Kinemagic. Now, I'm far from an expert on any of this, but as I understand it, this kind of virtual reality is built by creating what's called a digital twin, an exact detailed digital recreation of a 3D space, say, the room or the car you're in right now. If you think about writing computer code that represents every tiny single facet of that space being viewed from every imaginable angle, you can understand why this process takes an enormous amount of computing power, time, and human input. What Kinemagic's product, Stratus, does is create a virtual reality digital twin in a matter of minutes and it's done by one person. 
This is revolutionary, which is why Stratus, which was only unveiled in 2019, is already being used by companies like Chevron, Shell, ExxonMobil, and many others. The creator of Stratus and the CEO and founder of Kinemagic is Brian Loses. Brian, welcome to Out to Lunch. Wow. It's great to be here with a description like that. I probably don't have much more to offer. Yeah, we got it. Your mother wrote it. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Blair, let's start with a fundamental question that underpins everything the team Gleason has achieved and is planning to accomplish, and that is where do the millions of dollars you raise to fund this research and development come from? Uh, historically, Team Gleason's kind of been a grass, grassroots types of organization. So, you know, we're fortunate that over the years we have people that believe in our mission. They believe in Steve, whether it be seeing the documentary, whether it be seeing, you know, when we climb Machu Picchu, um, or they had family members affected by the disease. And, you know, in 2019, we raised over a million dollars in third-party events. And those events include anything from a fun run to a golf tournament. But these are events that we're not hands-on with, right? They actually do these for us. You know, and we benefit from so that that historically has helped us kind of grow and, and be able to help more people. But since then, we've had to be more strategic. You know, we unfortunately brought on development director and Kearney Gay, who's looking to help us, you know, solidify our next five years, right? With a with a major capital campaign, these types of ideas and approaches for funding are are necessary for us to continue to help, you know, get to helping ninety percent of the ALS population, right? So. Uh, we've been fortunate to have great partners and, uh, and a great leadership team and a great staff that, that's going to get us there. Um, but sometimes you have to pivot, you know, maybe when something like COVID happens. Brian, just so it's clear what your product Stratus does, it creates a virtual replica of an industrial complex, say a massive oil refinery. When people step into that VR world, everything about it looks and feels real, including size and scale. So a person can learn or practice a skill like building or repairing equipment in an environment that is exactly like the real world, except that it, it's completely safe. This type of digital twin technology already exists. That's not the breakthrough. The revolutionary breakthrough with your product is the ease and simplicity of building the virtual environment. So it's no secret that an affordable, accessible VR product has been the, pretty much the holy grail in Silicon Valley for some time, and, and it still is. Can you explain to us, in, in layman's terms, how you pulled this off. What's the software secret sauce in Stratus? Ooh, wow, that's a great one. And secret sauce will probably always remain a secret. <laughs> but We sometimes beat it out of you, but not today. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I like to start at the beginning of this. The idea that you can expose someone to something without putting them at risk is a very big deal. And how do you teach someone and get them accustomed to something without actually putting them in that place. And at Kinemagic, that's what we're offering. We take an environment and we bring it to you. And that could be you at home, in the office, uh, across the globe. And uh, that's a very big deal in and of itself. But as you said, that's not really the only trick that we've pulled off here. We've invested significant amount of capital and human resources to be able to automate that process of creating that experience. Because historically, this, this kind of thing for, let's say, an oil rig may have taken weeks or months to create that replica, and in a fashion that was really only used one time. Well, we automated that process, and, and in the intro, you actually said that's done by one person. It's not at all. These days, it's fully computer automated, and we've made it easy. Less and than one. Yeah, less than <laughs> one, the, the power of the cloud. And we've made it easy such that our customers can take their asset, and with one click, bring that experience into their entire ecosystem and enterprise. 
And so that just means this whole experience can be scalable far beyond what we ever really envisioned. And for us, that's the excitement here, because it's not just about reaching one person to get that advantage. It's how do we take this to the entirety of Shell or the entirety of any other organization, say Auctioner, for instance. We want them to be able to push this out in a more broad sense. So you talk to Shell, it's not one oil rig. It's It's the whole world that they have, everything that they've got, from Abu Dhabi to the Middle East to Asia, Europe, you name it. Now, Blair, I would imagine in the fundraising business, this has been kind of a brutal 20 months with the pandemic. I mean, how have you held in there? You still need the funding. Uh, I mean, I can recall, you know, when when COVID started, it was right around March of 2020, and, and Steve... Steve's birthday is in March as well as Michelle's. And I remember going over to his house and, you know, he was quarantined in his bedroom, but he lives on a park. So I'm sitting out there talking to him and we actually had this conversation and, you know, Steve's always in Steve's wise words. He said, we have to find solutions where others find challenges. And then went on to say how he's been stuck by himself for a very long time. So, you know, COVID for him being isolated isn't anything. <laughs> um, but the words rang true. Uh, we had to find a way to pivot, and our team successfully did. You know, we opened up the first of its kind assistive technology lab. And in doing so, we raised a good bit of awareness about something good happening in a time of, you know, really, really disturbing times, right? And that brought some, uh, some opportunities, financial opportunities with some of the bigger technology companies that we've been working with. Um, like a Google and a Microsoft and a Comcast to help us not just continue our mission, but also bridge that financial gap. Now that would be important to show people what you've done so far. I mean, that would be the, now I, now Brian, I, I'm gonna give you the same question, but it's different for you. The pandemic has been uh, both good and bad, right? Yes, yes. And uh, for us, we were, as a company going into the pandemic, we were largely leaning into oil and gas. And if you may remember, there was a moment, I think it was in May, where the price of oil went negative, meaning if you were to buy it, you would get paid, theoretically. I filled up my car that day. Yeah, it was a great time. (laughs) And so for us, uh, we watched our entire sales funnel evaporate overnight. But at the same time, something else was happening. We were offering this product, and it was solving problems, but we saw that things like Zoom and Teams were becoming the de facto method of connecting people, not just locally, but internationally, because the idea of business travel, gone. Overnight, we all know how that played out. Well, enter a product like Stratus that says, how do I get my team to meet on an asset without flying or without even meeting in the same city? And what it did was it, I think it really anchored the need for technology like ours to bridge that gap. And beyond that, it's changing the paradigm about what is acceptable business travel and why are we looking at spending all these additional funds and risk moving people around the globe when you can use a product such as ours. So short term, it was, it was painful. Long term, it's turned into quite the accelerant for our business. Yeah, I feel like you, you, you tapped into something that just has you know, an infinite amount of abilities, right? Because when you talk about recreating an environment, you know, all of a sudden, what can you do with that? You take the lab that, that I mentioned, our assistive technology lab, and you can actually have people be there, right? Because we always pride ourselves on touch, see, feel, right? We want to know the end user's environment. You know, we have clinicians on our team that can do trainings or bring them into our AT lab, right? From an education training access standpoint, the concept overall is like none other. 
Sounds like we ought to be working with you. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> that's the best thing that ever comes around this show. Yeah, they uh, yeah. got now, uh, Blair. One of the great ways to ex expose what you're doing and the, the disease itself is that ice bucket challenge. I I got the biggest kick. I assume you created that. So it was actually created by two people with ALS that you know we had done a team Gleason adventure with um, two amazing individuals. Uh, one of which is unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, Pete Frades, but you know the, the ALS community has carried the torch. They've taken it upon themselves to ensure that what those two gentlemen, you know, started, everybody will remember, and everybody continues to do it in some capacity. It was it was quite the fundraising mechanism, bringing in over two hundred million dollars to ALS organizations. We did not receive two hundred million, to be clear. We probably brought in something shy of one million. Um, but the awareness that it brought was probably just as important as as the funding. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Blair Casey from the Team Gleason Foundation and Brian Lozis from the virtual reality company Kinemagic. Brian, just help me out. You're approaching, let's say, a chemical company in St. Charles Parish. You, sure. you walk in, you get the right guy or woman. What, how do you start? How do you start that explanation of why they need you? We, we start with a vision and this starts from living this myself. I, I, at, in my previous life, I designed and operated these facilities and, and got to live through the difficulties because it all starts with a headache. And imagine for a moment you've got this humongous project and millions or billions of dollars are at stake. And like all things that involve a lot of people, you have a hard time uh, ensuring that all of the important people fully grasp what's about to take place. And for a refinery, that's the building of a new asset. And inevitably, this thing is built, and you find that there are flaws. And our stakeholders, like operators and technicians that make the world go round, realize you can't operate this thing the way that an engineer may have had, had envisioned from somewhere else. And once you've done it, then... Fixing these mistakes Which, is outrageous, right? The remedy, the cost to remedy multiplies and becomes exponential the further you go in the life cycle of any asset. Just like the idea of changing your house on paper is a lot cheaper than saying, let's go take out walls and put in new plumbing. And what we do is kind of invoke that sense of memory of how many times have you, Mr. Project Manager, lived through an experience where a stakeholder comes in late in the game and says it's time to change the plan. And then you're accountable to some financial budget, and now all of a sudden your budget is called into question, or your ability to meet that commitment is called into question. So on the project side, we touch on that. But for the operators, we always talk about how many times in the middle of the night has it occurred where an operator needs some subject matter expertise assistance, or they need to understand something that hasn't been clearly explained, and next thing you know, it's an all hands on deck, or worse yet, you make the news because something catastrophic has happened. And those are the kinds of things we, we unfortunately have to pull upon, but that's really our opportunity to prevent these things in the future and very quickly offer this solution where, hey, we're bringing clarity and we're bringing your ability to make accurate decisions quickly because you can see all of this critical information at your hands. You know what I would think? I would think that first sale is the toughest and then once they understand it. Boy, it is. Our software really, being at the cutting edge, we're in an industry that the average age doesn't necessarily lend itself to embracing cutting oh, yeah. edge technology. I, you hear this all the time. Yeah, right? My dad yeah. just got a cell phone. 
right? Yeah. And just got a self, you know, an iPhone. So he's like, you know, it's that same concept. How is this going to work? You're going to do what? You're going right. to make a digital twin image of right. a refinery? <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> right. And could you imagine in yours where you're dealing with people that have bigger problems to deal with, and all of a sudden you're talking about trying to roll new technology into right. the mix? Well, same goes for ours where you have a group that says, oh, it ain't broke. I don't need to fix it. Well, it, it is broken. And only until you see how it can be done better does that start to open the eyes. And I've seen this time and time again where we start with a small group. It takes someone who's got a little bit of courage to give it a shot. They use it. And the next thing you know, you've got people jumping out the woodworks to have that occur. And we're witnessing that with one of our big Fortune 500 clients right now. They started with one use in the Gulf of Mexico, and then it's moved to Europe and Asia, and it spreads on its own. And that's that's like so gratifying to see that occur. Oh, I can imagine. Now, now, Blair, what did, um, what are they doing with Google? You know, over the years, and I'll, I'll predate Google just because it really started with uh, Microsoft, and it's you know the, the approach of working with the big technology industry was a harebrained idea of Steve's and a need of the foundation. Um, it was around 2014. Medicare had a policy change and they actually put cap rentals, so you'd have to pay every single month for a communication device. Like, so somebody's communicating with their eyes, right? All of a sudden there's a cap rental, and if you go in a nursing home or hospice, they take your device away. That was unacceptable. We, we heard horror stories of people dying, not being able to tell their loved ones goodbye. Um, at this point, there really was no affordable solution, right? It was just the device that Medicare you know, provided and came with all these restrictions. So we lobbied to change the legislature, which we did, but we also went to Microsoft and asked them, challenged them to find a more affordable solution. So what they did was they built in the drivers that the eye gaze bar has that Steve uses into the Surface Pro and the Windows operating system, which allows actually it to be compatible, right? And that challenge, they actually executed within a few months. And Steve also wanted to drive his wheelchair with his eyes um, because due to his progression, we had tried every input, anything that he had, we used from egg buttons, you know, to a little finger switch, and when he got to the point where he didn't have any dexterity of his hands or couldn't move anything, his outlet, you know, his, his, his everything is his communication device. And so within a month, they had a prototype that allowed him to drive his wheelchair with his eyes. And it was simultaneously one of the most joyous moments I've seen with him and his son, and also one of the most painful ones, watching him you know, not think that this was going to be possible. Um, and so the, the example of... of of Microsoft is how we got in touch with Google, which is we see these consumer-based technologies, there's a need, a gap that the community identifies, um, one being speech recognition. You know, your standard speech recognizer, it worked great for us, right? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes, unless sometimes, you drink too much, you yeah. get too many beers here, right? Right. Um, it right. may change, but for people that have dysarthria, have dysarthric speech, these voice recognizers don't work, right? And in an effort to push the technology industry and all consumer-based technology forward as it relates to accessibility, and we went out and talked to him, and you know, this is about three years ago, and so now we've worked on this Arthur speech voice recognition, getting the necessary data samples that represent the communities it's intended to help. So, okay, somebody has been diagnosed with ALS, and you tape their voice in all these different areas, right? So there's, and I don't want to get too much in the weed, but there's synthetic voices, which is voice banking, and then there's voice recognition, which is like your voice assistant listening to you. Um, both of which we do and provide and work with a Google and Microsoft on because they all have their own twists on it, their own secret sauce, but it's our team. We have specialist clinicians on staff and the ALS community that paves the way, right? We know how to do it from a clinical perspective. We know the end user's perspective, and we find like-minded individuals within these companies that, how do I put it, they give a shit, 
right? They really do. They're passionate, but it takes somebody who wants to go. Yeah, I think that works. And I mean that nicest way possible. But you know, if you find somebody it doesn't care, you think they're going to put their all into it? No, you're going to get half-assed results. And that impact is so immediate. And Brian, I can ask you. You started as a like an engineer in a oil refinery. Is that right? Yeah, and yeah, then, we'll help to design those. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were on that side, but what? Where was the breakthrough that uh, you were just walking around and came up? To? That's a great one. It's like most things where I think we learn to tolerate headaches, and we just plot along with our lives and say that's fine, and the status quo is there. Well, uh, it was actually inspired by a client of ours, and at one point they had a big project. And he said, you know, we're really struggling to get stakeholders engaged in the development of this product, project, excuse me, and I'm fearful that when it is to materialize in the field, I'm going to lose my butt off. This is the kind of thing where I'm going to lose job progression and it's going to get ugly. And he actually said, we were watching uh, Oculus at the time, pretty amazing, young guy, Palmer Lucky, in his 20s, sells his company to Ocula, to Facebook for billions of dollars, and he's got this new product, and it's approachable and affordable. What does Oculus do, by o- the way? Oculus makes is a manufacturer of really one of the first big movers in VR equipment. And so this Oculus gear allows you to, to step into the VR environment and fully immerse yourselves. And we said, okay, this is affordable. And this this client said, man, I wish I could allow for my stakeholders to walk this thing down before it's built. I want to know the issues and the headaches and the problems before we spend all the money to actually construct it. And that was the aha moment. And, you know, shame on me, I was fully oblivious to the headache because I lived it numerous times and probably would have kept moving forward until somebody said, wouldn't it be better if we could look at attacking this problem from a different way? And then we were off to the races. And very fortunately, we had some large customers like your Shells and your Chevrons bite in and start to consume this material. Brian, I love hearing those. This is exactly like inspired by the client. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. here's a problem, here's a solution. And then that solution opens doors to all these other, you know, potential areas yeah. that it can be used for. From recreating environment, why pay a consultant to come in and see your refinery? when the consultant can just do it from home look at you you get the best in the world and they're doing yeah. everything remotely but you're getting that extra level of supervision input to where before anything's done you can change it and don't send me I the mean, bill for travel to get there correct yeah. i do think that the bean counters at companies are about to really put the hammer down on travel after covid you know it's uh, you've kind of seen it i it's, think it's there especially in a commodity <laughs> business like oil and gas and right now 80 dollars a barrel that popped off but <laughs> blair um you you try to make somebody with ALS have a, a better lifestyle. So you're not the other side, which is trying to, I guess, come up with a cure. Is uh, And you've done kind of amazing things like that, that home for ALS patients in, in Mid-City. Uh, um, this, this side, I don't think people understand as well. I mean, how do you tell? I do think, by the way, the best advertisement you have is Steve himself. I see him at the Tulane baseball games and such. And, um, is... What do, you, what do you do to explain your side of it? And is there like a sister company or something that does so the other side? We, we provide the now needs, right? And, and as you mentioned, medical research provides the ultimate, right? Finding a cure, finding treatments, um, 
And we actually had an ALS summit in 2013, and the outcome of that was Answer ALS, the largest coordinated research effort to date. And so, although we don't work together providing anything, there are areas of opportunity there, right? A crossover, and especially as it relates to data, you know, we look at the data that we gather, whether it be for a voice recognizer, right? Dysarthric speech data, non-standard speech, or if it's facial imagery for eye tracking, being able to double, triple use this data. What I mean by that is use it for a personalized model, a generalized model for an individual. That same data set can be applied to emerging solutions, but also data that's used for treatments, right? To use biomarkers, early detection. So we're finding ways to, to really leverage what we're doing as to not duplicate efforts and to maximize the individual's time that's actually participating, right? Because it's far too often that that's not the case. Yeah, we've got to figure out what we can do together. Yeah. <laughs> I have too, my problem is I have too many ideas right off the bat. People have to be asking AI, 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 but that's a different... You know, we're, we're applying that. I mean, we have a few initiatives that they have all this sitting on a shelf. Yeah, you're talking training models, which this is all AI Correct. fodder. And you are um, idea guys, so this is, this makes... This a, is my makes, world. I love Makes this. a whole lot of yeah. sense. Was this really rude just to get us together because you know how this would go? <laughs> Y'all knew the entire time that this would happen? You know what would be low-hanging fruit if we found somebody that, you know, uh, one of the jobs that you've already done, if there was a family member that had ALS, because it, you think about, I've gone, my, my dad's a doctor, and I definitely veered from that, you know. But he still has trouble with the iPhone. This is really weird. <laughs> the well, real, he, the real doctor, thing was he learned yeah. how to text because of Katrina, right? He was yeah. left here during Katrina, <laughs> but, you're, you know. You're looking at him. But is somebody that? can see where their, their either father, son, you know, like where they work, right? Because... I feel oh, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. easy because it's already done and there to where, you know, I feel like for a parent to be able to see their child, like, in their environment, they don't, probably will never get that opportunity with ALS. You know what I mean? But you've already recreated it oftentimes the environment to where somebody could actually be like, my son works here or my daughter works here. You know, I just, those are not a lot of effort, but a lot of emotional impact. That would be awesome. And because we never, it's, we, we not often, a lot, it's not more, right? No. Like, because if, if we can find ways to do something that already exists, it's like, you could see, like, from there we could gauge what the other impact outcome could be because I, I already think of a lot, but what's already done. We, we often forget about even the human element of all this, which is important That's to connect. That's all I'm thinking right. about right. is the human And we, we go toward the nuts and bolts and uh, objective success, but it's not always about that. And Brian, I keep thinking there's places where you're not in right now that you could be in. I, I think, like, military. Uh, you know, in the Lafayette show, we once had a guy on that was training banks and schools and everything how to get ready for a terrorist attack, for instance. I mean, that's all in the realm, right? Oh, totally. In fact, military's high on our radar. We, uh, we actually just won a contest for the Air Force to provide our technology into the Air Force itself related to bases. It's still questionable as to whether or not it will be funded. Uh, at the time that happened, it was under the previous presidential administration and priorities have changed. But the military has expressed some really heavy interest in what we're doing. So uh, oil and gas and heavy refining is, is nice because it's near. But there are so many outlets here. We have now Tesla using our software related to some of its factories. And it's been pretty wild to see how that this can branch out. Yeah, after you get Elon Musk, we, we work with Neuralink, brain control interface company. Holy cow. So yeah, that's amazing. That's another Musk endeavor. That's amazing. Most of us take our business or our career or our job seriously, but mostly we manage to keep things in perspective by reminding ourselves that 
At the end of the day, it's just a job. We're not changing the course of human history. And then there are people like you, Blair and Brian. The work you're doing is allowing people with neurodegenerative disease to regain the power of speech and revolutionizing virtual reality. When you're having a tough day, you don't have the benefit of shrugging it off by telling yourself that what you're doing isn't all that consequential because simply it is. Uh, Blair, all of us here in New Orleans appreciate you and Team Gleason. We're very proud of you and we're with you. And Brian, we're excited to see where your revolutionary technology might lead the world. Thank you both for taking the time today to join me for Out to Lunch. Thank you for having us. That's terrific. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited version and find out more about Team Gleason and Kinemagic by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Taproom, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Taproom has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Alta Lunch is brought to you by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie and by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. 